In these first 18 verses of the book of John, it's often called the prologue to the gospel of John. You know, two years ago, exactly, I preached on this passage and it, and it was in, in Aubrey's house in the living room. Maybe there was 30 people, maybe 25 of us there. Uh, I titled that sermon, The Incarnation. We had just named our church, the Church of the Incarnation, and this passage unfolds what that means for us. This sermon for me is like the second part of a bookend. It will be the final Sunday of the first Christmas that we're here before we go into our new building. What a difference the last two years has made. This passage has been chosen by the church for centuries to be read on the first day of Christmas. But our passage in John is not about angels and shepherds and a manger and Mary and Joseph. So you say, why that passage? I hope that you'll discover with me that these verses are a fantastic place for us to help understand what Christmas is all about. I have uh, titled this sermon, A Song for the Asking. Now, this is a song written and and performed by Paul Simon. I'm showing my age. Uh, It's the last, the 11th song in a a very famous album called uh, um, uh, A Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Listen to Paul Simon's lyrics. Ask me and I will play. So sweetly, I'll make you smile. This is my tune for the taking. Take it. Don't turn away. Ask me and I will play all the love that I hold inside. Why this title and song? I think that it'll become clear as we go through the message this morning. In the first half of the sermon, it's going to be a little more theological. And this is appropriate because the, the Gospel of John has been known as being kind of the most theological of the Gospels. The the second half is going to be more personal. So if you will, I'm going to be speaking to our minds in the first part and to our hearts in the second part. So let's begin. Look in John chapter 1 and read along with with me verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, who or what is this word that we hear about in this passage? It appears, that word, word, appears one more time later on in uh, the prologue in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. And then later, John He doesn't leave us in suspense. He says, he clearly identifies the word as Jesus Christ in verse 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The gospel of John places this Christmas story long before the birth of Jesus. The the angels in the manger and Joseph and Mary. The story of Christmas begins at creation, actually even before creation. Before space and time, God the Word was in relationship with God the Father. God the Father and God the Word existed before the creation of the universe. You could say that John's gospel begins the story even before Genesis 1. 
John pulls back the curtain to show us the reality of God the Word and God the Father existing in a relationship before the world began. With the birth of Jesus, a divine person within the Godhead has now revealed, been revealed in human flesh as a newborn baby. I want to point to four lessons I see in these first four verses. <clears throat> Number one, Jesus Christ is fully and truly God. John, writing 50 or so years after the life of Christ, is at pains to counter the Gnostic teaching in his day that made Jesus less than God. In our day, New Age philosophy, even Seventh-day Adventist, Islam, secular humanist, and many others deny the full deity of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John asserts unequivocally that the Word was God and the Word was with God from the beginning. John tells us in these first two verses of this gospel, what he tells us is mind-boggling. Jesus is God. Before he took on human flesh, the Word existed eternally as God and in fellowship with God. It is important that we grasp this fact. He existed in the very beginning and he was ever existed with the Father. That is what John expects us to believe and that's what he hopes to convince us is true. Second lesson, Jesus Christ is creator. As we have seen in verses 1 and 2, John places the one whom we know as Jesus at the beginning. In fact, before the beginning. He was with the Father before the world existed. Now in verse 3, if you look at verse 3, John goes on to show that Jesus Christ was not only present at the beginning, he was the source of all that was and that had a beginning. He wasn't merely God's agent in creation. You see, uh, a while back, remember when you had a storm and a bunch of trees got blown down? Now... I don't do power saws and I don't do big trees. And so I call William, my tree guy, and he does it and he's my agent. Now I could tell someone, yeah, I've, I cut down my trees, but no, I, William did. Well, it's not like Jesus was just merely God's agent in creation. Uh, it's not like God was too busy and, and, and doesn't want to bother with the details of creation. Uh, So he asked Jesus to do it. But for John, the word was not passive, but active. The one through whom all things came into existence. He was not created. He was the creator. He did not merely create all things for God. He created all things as God. The God who created the universe is the one who was found lying in a manger in Bethlehem. The hay the baby was lying on, assuming there was some hay in that manger, was produced by the natural world he created ages ago. Imagine the baby lying in Mary's arms as the creator of the universe. This is the child promised to Mary nine months prior, who said, you will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name of Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. His kingdom will never end. The Apostle Paul says about Christ Jesus in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. All things were created by him 
and for him. Our third lesson. Personhood and relationship existed before creation. The relationship we observe within the Godhead is fundamental to our understanding of relationship on the human level. That word with in the word was with God carries tremendous meaning. It's not exactly like I would use the word with and I said I attended third grade with her or I went to the grocery store with him. The word Jesus Christ and God were like this. They were on the same page. They had the same agenda. They talked intimately with each other. They understood each other. They had the same agenda. They talked intimately with one another. They were in perfect harmony. Could we say they were best friends? Read through the gospel of John. I and my father are one. The work I see my father doing is the work I do. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Forty years ago, I stood on the quad at JMU, then called Madison College. I was staffed for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship there, brand new, about a year or so. Uh, And I was asked to give an evangelistic talk. Now, this was back in the days of the Jesus movement and coffee houses with black lights and things were happening. So we had evangelistic meetings out on the quad at JMU, okay? I began that talk by quoting uh, parts of a poem entitled The Creation by James Weldon Johnson. And God stepped out in space and he looked around and and he said, I'm lonely, I'll make me a world. And as far as the eye could see, God... And as far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything. Blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. Now, by the way, uh, Mr. Johnson was a southerner about 1850s or so. Then God smiled and the light broke. And the darkness rolled up on one side and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, that's good. Then God reached out, and he took the light in his hands, and God rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun. And he set that sun ablazing in the heavens, and the light that was left for making the sun, God gathered up in a shining ball and flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with the moon and the stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world, And God said, that's good. The poet goes on to describe creation of oceans and plants and animals. And he finishes his poem this way. Then God walked around. And God looked around. And all that he had made. He looked at the sun. He looked at the moon. He looked at these little stars. He looked at his world with all its living things. And God said, I'm lonely still. Then God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think. By a deep, wide river, he sat down with his head in his hands. God thought and thought till he thought, 
I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay. And by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there the great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, the great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay, till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it he blew the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Amen and amen. Now, Mr. Johnson got it half right, and he got it half wrong. Okay? Where did he get it wrong? God was not lonely. A profound intimacy existed within the Godhead even before the world was created. But he got it half right also. As creatures made in God's image, we also are specially made for relationship. We are created for a relationship with God and with each other. I expect that each of us has experienced at one time or another the joy of a special friendship or the joy of an intimate relationship. In fleeting glimpses, perhaps you have felt a bit of what God the Father and God the Word experienced in intimate fellowship as hinted at in John's Gospel. I hope so. I hope you're finding it in our church. We are never fully human apart from relationship. The profound human need for intimacy is found on the intimacy we first see in the Godhead between the Word and the Father. John's Gospel shows us that the best in human relationship is a reflection of of the intimacy within the Godhead. Lesson number four. Jesus Christ is the source of life. In, John, in verse four, John goes on to say, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The word is the origin or the source of life. All life originates in the word, in God, the creator. Therefore, in the beginning, before there was anything else but God, there was life. This is huge. You see, the Bible is telling us that ultimate reality is living. Ultimate reality is alive. Absolute reality is a living person. One of the things God is, is life. He's a living person. God the Word is alive, doing something like thinking and feeling for all eternity. As far back as you can go in eternity, forever and ever and ever, there is one changeless reality, life. In Him was life. An implication of this is that physical matter did not give rise to life. Life gave rise to matter. Once there was only life and no matter. And then that personal life created matter. And there was both life and matter. In the beginning was the word and through him all things were made. Here is the great division. 
between the secular or agnostic or atheistic worldview and the Christian worldview. The prevailing view in our culture today chooses to believe that in the beginning was matter and energy. They say that personal, impersonal matter and impersonal energy are original, they're absolute, they're just there. Then for billions of years, with no creator, no intelligence, no design, no purpose, there emerges from mindless, lifeless matter and energy the complexities of interdependent biological structures. For example, the eye. Also emerging from this original inanimate matter is this glorious thing called living personhood. That's their account of life. For Christians, it's the other way around. First there was life, and then there was physical matter and energy. First there was living personhood, then there was matter and energy. In the beginning was the Word, and in Him was life. Whenever, Whenever you turn, wherever you turn on this planet, and see a living person, You're seeing an image of the absolute reality, the ultimate reality, the word who was with God and was God and was life. So at the end of verse 4, we hear the song of the universe created by God in all its perfection and grandeur. It's a song of beauty, of meaning, of life. It's a song of purpose and harmony and well-being. Immediately after the creation, Adam and Eve walked with God each day in the cool of the evening, enjoying the reflected intimacy of the Godhead in perfect harmony and joy. After we sang, and we'll sing later today, joy to the world, all heaven and nature sing. That's what we see at this point in the story. But what's that I hear? I detect a discordant note. Something is off key. Verse 5 introduces a jarring chord to this creation song. The light shines on in the darkness, but the darkness cannot put it out. It cannot understand it. It cannot overcome it. Skip down to verse 9 in your Bible. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, but though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to those who were his own, but his own did not receive him. Darkness, rejection to the, of the word, blindness to the creator. Where do all these discordant notes come from? Why does John introduce this theme of darkness and rejection? Well, in Genesis 3, something catastrophic happened. Prompted by Satan, Adam and Eve disobey and rebel against God. God had said, if you disobey me, you will surely die. They they immediately die spiritually. Their intimacy with God is destroyed. They become self-conscious with each other. They cover up. They lie. They hide from God and from each other. Relationships are broken. Eventually, they die physically. 
death and disease and opposition and disharmony are introduced into the creation. In the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 4, their firstborn son murders his brother. The world began a tragic spiral down into darkness and death. And the Apostle John says that the light came into the dark world of men. Dark because it's a sinful world. It's a world inhabited by demons. It's a world dominated by Satan. The beautiful song of creation has changed into a song of lament. In this introduction to his gospel, John is telling us that God became man in the person of Jesus to introduce a new creation within this old one. He brings new life where there is death. He introduces light where there's blindness. He offers wholeness, grace, and truth instead of brokenness. The baby in the manger is the ultimate part of his plan to make the world into his new creation. John's gospel tells us that this baby in a manger is bringing a recreation. Just as God made light on the first day of creation, God, the word made flesh, gives light in the darkness. Just as God created life in day five and six, God, the word made flesh, offers life in the new creation. Read with me verses 12 and 13 in our passage. Yet... To all him, all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. In God's story, some reject the word, but others believe and receive. So So it is for us today. As you listen to me this Christmas morning, you most likely fall into one of four groups of people in response to this gospel message. You may find yourself in one of four places. First, you may be thinking, I just don't get it. What I'm hearing does not make sense to me. It just doesn't. Let me tell you a story. About 15 years ago, our son Rick was deeply involved with a group of Christians at Georgia Tech called Westminster Fellowship. For three years in a row, about 15 or so of these students would come up to Esther and my house on MLK Day, ostensibly to go skiing. Sometimes they did a little bit of it. Frankly, it became a big glorified pajama party. (laughs) (laughs) Sleeping bags could be found on the floor. And we even found, walked out and found some students sleeping under the dining room table. And and Grady always slept outside despite the weather. He was totally weird. (laughs) We met a student named Gwyneth. We met a student who came, Gwyneth, who came along with this group. She made it clear that she did not believe this stuff about Jesus and God and salvation. The gospel made no sense to her. But she liked these students and she felt safe with them. 
Fast forward about 10 years. Uh, Esther and I were in her SUV in line at McDonald's to get a smoothie or something. Uh, and, and, and some of you may know that on, on her license tag it says Mrs. Good. Okay? Uh, we were startled when someone knocked on the window. <laughs> it was Gwyneth. This is about 10 years later. Okay? Uh, when she had walked out of McDonald's, she, she saw the license plate and she saw us. She said, that's got to be Rick's parents. She told us she was uh, living in Maryland and stopped off I-81 on Port Road to get something to eat and going south somewhere. And then she told us something else. After leaving Georgia Tech, she had come to an abiding faith in Christ. She was now married to a Christian guy and was a happy mother of several children. Wow. Wow. Once in a while, God gives you the gift of a special moment. Are you, the same, are you at the same place Gwyneth was 15 years ago? When you are honest with yourself, you know you don't understand what I've been talking about. And you just can't believe the claims that John's gospel is making. My word to you is, keep hanging around those who believe. Perhaps a bit of light may begin to dawn in your heart and mind. You may be in a slightly different place. You agree in your mind that what John is saying is true. It makes sense to you. The light of the word is making sense to you. But you're resisting. Why? Well, I think it's mostly fear and stubbornness and pride. You're scared to make yourself vulnerable and you're too proud to look foolish. Now, how do I know this? I've been there. But one day I said, heck, with all this fear and pride. I opened my heart to receive him and this has made all the difference. I asked and received a new song. Mostly it it was and still is on my best days, a song of great joy and a song about peace. My word to you this morning is the Christ child is offering you a song, a song for the asking. Open your heart this Christmas Sunday. Jesus Christ is offering you his song for the asking. Ask him now at this moment for your song. Some of you are in still a different place. Sometime in the past, you believed in his name, perhaps even years ago. You received a song in your heart. But the once dynamic song is now muted. Perhaps the light has gone dim from hurt and pain and disappointment. Perhaps your song has been drowned out by ambition and cares and occupations of your life. You know, the funny thing about light light is that you can't pile up more darkness to put the light out. (laughs) 
It still shines on. The message of Christmas is that the light can penetrate into every corner of your life. As as verse 13 says, you cannot renew your life by scrunching up your willpower and making extra effort. No, a renewed song comes from God. New life is born of God. My word to you this morning is there's a new song for the asking for you. Come back to God, the word, and renew your commitment to the Christ on this Christmas Sunday. The light shines on in the darkness and the darkness isn't putting it out. Some of you are still in another place. Your heart is reverberating with his song. You know his joy and peace. His light is in your life. God is blessing you, especially with the life that you're finding in him at the church of the incarnation. My word to you is, sing it out! Like John the Baptist, bear witness to the light to your neighbors. Tell them about the song in your heart. In this new year, resolve to show the love of Christ to your neighbor, your co-worker, your friend, your family. Invite, invite friends to our church this new year. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray.